Welcome to the Pregnantish Podcast, where we tell extraordinary stories of modern family building and feature people who became parents against all odds. Today's episode is supported by Marin Fertility Center, a national center of fertility excellence located in Marin, California, with the highest quality medical care, a patient-centered approach, and affordable, effective treatment options. Visit marinfertilitycenter.com for more. Today's episode, My Identical Twin Sister is Carrying My Rainbow Baby, is a story of love, hope, and resilience. Identical mirror twins, Amy and Courtney, who jokingly refer to themselves as lefty and righty, both knew they'd have to pursue IVF in order to have children so they wouldn't pass down a rare genetic condition. They didn't imagine the many years of treatments, trying, and losses they'd experience along the way, or that they'd become even more connected than they already were. Courtney is now growing Amy and her husband's baby. We were downtown, we were at our OB appointment, we were walking down the street and we heard this guy behind us say, he was talking to his daughters who were crossing the street, he said, you hold your sister's hand, you hold your sister's hand, you never let go. And we looked back and they were twins and we were just like, you know, this is just such an example of of the power of sisters and, and twins just always holding each other's hands and never letting go, you know. And Courtney, she's been there for me throughout this entire thing and I couldn't ask for a better second partner in this. These sisters who shared a uterus 36 years ago are coming together to welcome Amy's baby this October. Amy and Courtney, I'm so glad you tagged Pregnantish during National Infertility Awareness Week so we could meet. Thank you so much for being on the Pregnantish podcast. Thanks, Thanks so much for, for having, having us. us. You know, and of course you sound alike as well. I'm sure <laughs> I know you look you're identical and we can't see you right now, but I encourage people to check out your Instagram page. What's the handle on your your page again? It's Twin Sisters. Twin Fertility. Twin Fertility. There's an other so score in there somewhere. Is there? Yeah. Okay. We're well we'll we'll post it also for people to find you. But I've loved, you know, following along on, on that because I think your story is just so beautiful. But before we delve into that. I just wanted to start by asking you who you are generally. I'm Amy. I am the, the righty of our duo, and I am the biological mom of the baby. I'm Courtney, also known as Lefty, and I am doing the ultimate anti-babysitting job nine months ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> I know from following your page that you both knew you'd have to pursue IVF because of a rare genetic condition. Can you tell us about that condition and when you learned about that? Sure. So Courtney and I were born, uh, we were the first mutation, uh, which means we're the only ones in our family who have this specific rare condition. It's called Axenfield-Rieger syndrome. So growing up, uh, you know, Courtney did a lot of research. She always wanted to be a mom and, and you know, so did I, but I, less enthusiastically. And she always knew that we would need to do IVF with, at the time it was called PGD, which is basically where they can check for this genetic condition in the embryos that we create. So we always kind of knew that we would need to do that to pursue our family building to prevent Max and Field Beakers from being carried on to our children. We did not know it would be this difficult. <laughs> oh, no, no question. And did that 
genetic condition hasn't manifested in your lives in any way? Or how did you find out you had it? Sure. Yeah. So we were born, so it can manifest in different ways. And you never really know when a child is born with Axenfield Riegers, how severe the manifestations can be. For Courtney and I, uh, we both have glaucoma. We were diagnosed at around age 12. And then we were both born with umbilical hernias. On the scale from, uh, you know, zero to 10 on Axenfield Riegers, that's a pretty mild case. But we did know that based on our symptoms that we wouldn't be able to tell how severe it would be for our children. And at 12 years old, you learned you had this condition. What was on your mind at that age about, you know, becoming moms? You did mention, I think, Amy, that Courtney always knew, but maybe you didn't. So can you each go into when you heard about the genetic condition and that you might need assistance building your family? What went through your minds? So this is Courtney. I know we sound the same. (laughs) I was on the case. I knew, you know, I did a lot of research about about how this would manifest. And, and, you know, it's an autosomal dominant. So it passes down at 50% to any children. And I knew for me that was unacceptable. So I just got on the internet at about 13 or 14 and just started doing research on, you know, Axenfeld Riegers. I was looking up doctors. I was, you know, trying to find some way out of this situation. And found out about PGD and started emailing researchers, emailing you know, doctors, it was still kind of in its infancy back then. So, you know, put it on the the table and left it until I got married. And then I was like, all right, we are doing this. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because on the podcast, we have, you know, a variety of guests and some know from the time they get married or partnered with someone and they want to have a child, they know they need to access fertility treatments. And then for others, it comes as a complete shock. I think I was somewhere in the middle because I knew at 14 years old, I may have fertility issues. I was told I probably had endometriosis. So I kind of told my husband it might take a year or two, but never imagined it would take what it took. Sounds like the same thing for both of you. But Amy, what did you think when you heard about this genetic condition and your ability to become a parent, what crossed your mind at that point? Yeah, you know, because Courtney always kind of just told me, you know, this is what we need to do to have kids. And, you know, it was always kind of in, in the, in the, on the back burner for me when I got married, you know, my husband and I had that conversation and said, you know, we'll need to do IVF to pursue a family. And shortly after we got married, we actually, because Courtney was in kind of the thick of her IVF journey at that time, she suggested we kind of go and talk to a doctor to figure out, you know, who we were comfortable with and what that looked like for us and the timeline and kind of go over details with a specific, you know, an IVF doctor. So we went and visited one. This was like shortly after our wedding. And that doctor told us that we would be pregnant within the year based on, you know, all of my numbers all of the, you know, data they had at the time that we would be holding our baby within a year. So at that time we were like, whoa, 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 we just got married. We're not ready for this. So we, we took two years off, but <laughs> looking, looking back, I'm like, oh, what? We were so naive. Like we had no Been idea. Exactly. <laughs> In my, now, now I'm just kicking myself. Can you imagine what my eggs would have looked like? But, you know, they told us, you know, six months, you're going to get pregnant. So when we started, when we started pursuing this journey seriously, and we met with the doctor that we eventually went with, 
six months came, six months went, another six months came, another six months went. And, you know, six years later, here we are in this, in what is now this stage of our journey. So the six months have ended. Yes. I always yeah. feel like going back to the doctor and being like, it did not take six months. It took six well, years. This happens because I think one of the biggest misconceptions, and that's a pun, of course, but it's, it's also accurate to say in this category is that if you're under 35, you won't have issues conceiving. And myself included, so many of us were young, young when we started trying. And it, you know, if you have medical infertility, you have, you know, the average age of our audience member at Pregnant is 33 and has been trying for four years. So I think it turns on its head this idea that it's all about age. Of course, age does impact a woman's fertility and a man's to, to an extent. But when you started going down that path. I know both of you have just gone through so many treatments. Uh, can you download it in in a nutshell, which is really hard to do when we're talking about <laughs> five or six years, but so that we don't get, you know, completely wrapped up in all the treatment details. Like what what's the overview of what you both went through? Sure. So it's Amy and I'll start. So we have done countless retrievals to try and get our embryo that doesn't have our genetic condition. Unluckily for me, I've had trouble kind of creating embryos to begin with. So once we kind of get one embryo, then we we have obviously PGS and PGD tested it. And then, you know, we ended up getting, I think, in total five normal embryos throughout the five years, all of which have been unsuccessful. So we had a chemical in there. We had, you know, a miscarriage in there. There's every single time that we transferred that, we held out hope that that would be, you know, our, our baby. And unfortunately for us, that, that didn't work out that way. So in total, we've had, you know, like I said, just more, more retrievals than I can count, which have given us five embryos, um, all of which were unsuccessful. Well, I think it's really interesting because some of the listeners don't quite understand that by the time you get to PGD and PGS, now called PGTA testing, genetic testing, the likelihood of implantation once that embryo is transferred into your body is very high. So if the uterine environment is good, you have 70, 80% plus likelihood of meeting your baby. But if the uterine environment is not, well, that's another story. And also, you know, 80% is not 100%. But it sounds like transferring five healthy embryos that took a really long time to create and then going through more losses and failures is just, must have been so devastating. So what, Amy, during that time, like, what were you thinking? Were you thinking this is just not going to happen or what, how did you hold out hope? Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to have hope in all of this, just in general, you start off with this idea that it's going to be easy and you're going to have this once you, once you can meet the finale of getting a normal embryo, that everything's going to be okay. And for us, that just wasn't the case. And the problem, I think, with a lot of women who go through infertility is a lot of times there is no answer for why it's not working. And that was the case for me. So we, we've ended up, we've gone through three different doctors, none of which could tell us, is it the uterus? Is it the eggs? Are they disintegrating after they're, you know, is, is it the embryo disintegrating? Kind of what is happening? So we needed to figure out, obviously, what our next step would be. And luckily, my husband has been at my side the entire time. We've we've gone on what we call strategy walks after every, you know, big event and, and before every big event. And we kind of figure out, like, if if X, then, then what next, you know? So we've always had kind of like a a pathway to parenthood that, that has changed and that boundary has moved, you know, five years now. 
but we knew that we eventually wanted to be parents. We just didn't know how that would look. So for us, it just, you held out hope because you have that goal and we know we're going to get there. And yes, I totally, I think that's so true for so many people in this community, this club that no one, nobody wants to be in. Courtney, you also went through setback after setback. What What's your story yeah. uh, in a nutshell? Yeah, so we did. <laughs> it was not a fun journey. Uh, I started when I was 28 making embryos. And again, we were told this should be super easy. No problems. You look great. Got four normal embryos, which was fantastic. Transferred. I had a, a chemical pregnancy, a miscarriage, and then got my amazing son. And we thought that everything would be great and it would be easy from then on. We added a blood thinner because they found two blood clotting disorders. When we went back to have a sibling, we transferred that third. I'm sorry. That would be the fourth embryo and got pregnant with Judah's little sister. And at the 19 week anatomy ultrasound, we found out that there was something terribly wrong with her, that she wasn't growing the way she should have, and that there was some fault in the placenta, but they couldn't really tell us what was going on. So we did have a stillborn. Mm. Yeah, it was really hard. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. It was awful. And you know, it was compounded by the fact that we had no more embryos left. And now I was 34, starting all over again. But we did manage to get some more embryos and had our own rainbow baby in 2018. Whew, I'm yeah. always so, I mean, listen, I, I get it, having gone through eight, eight years of treatments myself, but I, I don't get it. I don't get it on another level because every devastating chapter is so deeply personal and specific to the person going through it. And so obviously you both relied on your partners who were also probably suffering greatly during these terrible times, but how did you rely on each other or did you? I was just going to say our partners, yes, they are a hundred percent supportive and and we did rely on them heavily, but we basically clung to each other, you know, throughout all this, throughout our life, we've been in every, everything together. We've done everything together. We went to the same college, you know, Courtney uh, was studying abroad her last year in high school and was like, all right, what college are we going to? You know, so I (laughs) decide for us, Amy, just decide for (laughs) us. We've always been together. We live down the street. So we, you know, and I think a lot of parents of twins and siblings of twins and twins of twins can understand that bond that exists between twins that is sort of like an unspoken magic. And so we've always had a hundred percent support in this journey at all times with each other and with our, with our spouses. So lucky for us that we've had each other and it's always nice to have a friend or sibling. Nice nice to have somebody going through it with you who can understand, you know, not only the pain of the shots, but the pain of just the entire journey. So it's been a blessing to have her just even to go through the six years of suffering and then, you know, have her obviously here now. Yes. I, I can only imagine. And, you know, going through secondary infertility, I think people think once you have a kid, like you're quote unquote resolved, everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Infertility's gone away. You're doing fine. Everything's happy. I mean, obviously those of us who have had children, whatever way we did after, you know, going through all this suffering Mm -hmm. are grateful to the moon, but you suffered a devastating chapter with a stillborn girl, I I can't imagine how you move forward after that. What was that process like? 
Yeah, it was a really hard year for our entire family. My um, dad was going through terminal cancer and it was just, you know, it was almost so much that you just kind of shut down. But at the same time, I was even more driven to complete my family. I felt like there was somebody missing and I just needed to go find them. So we did, you know, we, we just kept going, knowing that there may be future adversity, just because you have one bad thing happen to you does not mean that you are exempt then from having other bad things happen to you. But we also knew that with bad, there was, you know, the chance for good. So it was, it was really hard for our whole family, but you know, you just move, you don't move on. You just keep going day by day. Yeah. And, um, you know, with the hope that you'll meet that person who is meant for your family. Mm. You know, we, we featured on the podcast and on Pregnation in general, a marathon runner named Kelly McClay, who went through a lot of, she went through menopause at 24 and then all these setbacks and She's a 70 time marathon runner, fascinating woman. (laughs) Yeah. She she took up running. running (laughs) She keeps on running. Well, that's funny you say that because her motto through infertility was keep on running. Yeah. And it, it, it is a marathon infertility with a finish line you can't see. That's the hardest part for so many people. When you're running a real race, you know where that benchmark is. When you're going through setback after setback, as you guys have five, six years of setback after setback, and you don't see a finish line, it takes a certain kind of strength and resilience and love and dedication to keep going. And whenever someone, quote unquote, I keep putting these in quotes because we have to, because they're so all encompassing and nothing simple about, quote unquote, giving up. I never think someone's giving up if they decide I can't go through more, I can't afford more mentally, physically, financially, whatever it is, they're not giving up. They, they, they are making a decision that's right for themselves and their families. We've also featured those people on the podcast. So it sounds like both of you were very determined to become parents, however that would happen. This determination to become parents when it is anything but easy is something so many people undergoing fertility treatments understand deeply. And this is why we're happy to partner with a first-class clinic, Marin Fertility Center, for today's episode. Marin Fertility Center, also known as MFC, and its medical director, Dr. Peter Uzalek, know that infertility is much more than a medical issue. Affordability, accessibility, and inclusivity are part of their patient-centered approach. Uniquely, Dr. Uzalak is also an HCLD, a high-complexity laboratory director, so he can personally work with patients in the clinic and oversee the cutting-edge laboratory, which provides patients a deeper level of care. MFC believes that everyone who wants to build a family should have that opportunity. In support of San Francisco Pride's June celebrations, MFC is launching a new IVC treatment option they call Duo IVF that allows lesbian couples to experience shared motherhood. To learn more, visit MarinFertilityCenter.com. Now, Amy, when you had transferred genetically healthy embryos and they still weren't working, is that when a reproductive doctor suggested you use a surrogate, a a gestational carrier, or, or how did you come to that discovery? Yeah, you know, it's funny because nobody could tell us exactly it was it the uterus or was it the embryo. So we tried, you know, actually Courtney offered to do a donor egg round for us, which 
turned out that, you know, the, the embryos that she made all had that genetic disorder, unfortunately. We are in a unique position where we have somebody who theoretically has the same DNA and, and, and could, if, if we did a donor egg round, it would be, you know, as similar as I could get to, to my own eggs. Um, but exactly the same, exactly <laughs> DNA wise, scientifically the exact same egg, but that, that just didn't work for us. So then at that point we thought out of this equation, uterus, egg, sperm, you know, embryo, if we could try transferring to my sister, we'd then be able to identify exactly, you know, was it the embryo? And I don't think Courtney actually ever, did you ever offer? I never offered. <laughs> I think I was just like, okay, what are we doing now? <laughs> I'm just so intrinsically involved in uh, their journey that I just, what's next for us? Yeah, it's always been, you know, the three. <laughs> it sounds like you guys are together in everything. So it kind of makes sense that Courtney said, what's next for us, not just for you. Yeah. But you never, Courtney, you never offered to carry. Did, did it cross your mind? I mean, you obviously offered your eggs. Yeah, for me, it was just obvious. It was just, there was no need to say Hey, would you like to borrow my? I mean, there was. I guess just, I should ask. Right? <laughs> you can ask you now. This? Like, are you still okay with this? I'm still okay with it. <laughs> yeah, no, it just was. It was the natural progression of okay, what what do we do? Yeah, and you know, we were downtown. We were at our OB appointment. We were walking down the street, and we heard this guy behind us say he was talking to his daughters who were crossing the street. He said you hold your sister's hand, you hold your sister's hand, you never let go. And we look back and they were twins. And we we're just like, you know, this is just such an example of, of the power of sisters and, and twins just always holding each other's hands and never letting go, you know. And Courtney, she's been there for me throughout this entire thing. And I couldn't ask for a better second partner in this. I think truly. That's so beautiful. I... I guess you both probably are emotional knowing you're creating life together. <laughs> I mean, what, you, can't, you can't ask for a greater bond and gift than that. Uh, it's literal life that you're yeah. coming together to create. Yeah. Uh, Courtney, what does it mean to you to be able to do this with Amy and for Amy? I'm just so excited. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's such a nice thing you're doing. You're so, you know, she's so lucky, but I'm the one who's actually lucky. I'm the one who gets to, you know, help with this situation and, you know, bring baby girl Fujiti into this world. And it's exciting and special. And it just makes me feel closer to Amy and closer to this baby. And we just kind of can't wait until she's earthside and here. <laughs> you know, I think people don't understand, even when you're not twin sisters, the bond that so many intended parents have with their gestational carriers, mm -hmm. their surrogates. Yeah. It's so deep. My first cousin carried for me and I'm in it. I mean, I well, can't you know. even, <laughs> I know, I know how I feel about that. She's an angel on earth to me, but you know, in some cases we definitely have people in our audience working with, they start out as strangers, the gestational carriers and they become bonded for life. And I think, you know, what's interesting is people just don't understand. I know you guys know this, so I don't need to tell you. They don't understand surrogacy, so many people. They think that it's it's easy. We often hear just get a surrogate, just adopt. You know, the word just, we talk about this all the time on Pregnantish, is a terrible word for any life challenge to <laughs> uh, yeah. someone to right. 
those steps. But Amy, are there any complicated parts as much as you're grateful for Courtney for caring and it's it's incredible and beautiful. Are there any hard parts for you of not being able to carry your your baby? Yeah, you know, I've talked to people who've had surrogates too, and I'm sure you can relate, but there is like a grieving process of kind of like not being able to carry your own child. And I don't think I've given that up completely yet. And I don't know if that's just naivety. You know, I think I'm forever naive in IVF and always thinking that things will eventually work out. So I I don't feel like I'm done yet. I want to try again with me, but there is just such pleasure in in Courtney caring for me and being able to be close to the baby. We always joke that the baby can hear us like gossiping all the time. So it's going to know exactly (laughs) how we sound. And just these ladies just keep talking all the time to each other and they sound the same. And, you know, it's going to be confusing, but it's been very nice being so close and watching every step of the way. But as far as my journey and being pregnant, I don't, I don't think I'm done yet. So you may try, and we hear that a lot, actually. We had, I'm uh, sure guest on the show whose mother delivered her baby. Yes. Um, yeah. Brianna, you might know her. And yeah. she she made international news with that. They they look like sisters, Incredible. actually. But, Incredible. Wow. But, but, you know, she's also not done with her body. And I think that's another thing people don't understand because they often think it's the easy way out to find a surrogate, not realizing the grieving process that the intended parents oftentimes have yeah. and and paired with the the joy and the blessing i mean i think co- these complicated emotions that's life you know can coexist how did the rest of your family and your husbands respond to this how have they done with this process really well there's been so many disappointments in this journey that i feel like my entire family and friends are all championing us for like success and and they want us to be parents and they want us to be successful so when when we propose this to people everyone's like yes 100% that makes sense and when it worked i feel like there's like a genuine excitement of all of my friends and family and people who don't know us who who maybe hear about this story there's a lot of excitement around it just based on the fact that like people can sympathize and understand, you know, the bond between sisters and especially like twins and, and 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 what we would give for our siblings, our family members. People can really relate to that and understand. So there's really been excitement around it. There's, you know, offhanded comments that can sometimes be brought up, but you know, overall the, the reception has been positive. I think the weirdest we've got is not understanding surrogacy. You know, my husband's Nona said so I, I don't really understand that. So that's we've had to kind of like explain like, well, you know, it's our embryo, she's our surrogate, and she's so what do I tell people? Well, you tell people we're having a baby, you know. <laughs> so just like a little bit of confusion, but overall genuinely everyone is excited and it's it's nice to finally and I, I know that you can probably relate to this it's nice to finally be sharing good news because so many times in this journey there's been those calls we've had to make where you say to your mom you know I, I didn't get any embryos or they all came back with our genetic condition so it's really really nice to be able to share good news but also understand that it took a very long time to get there and I think everyone who's known us has been along for that journey. Yes. And they, and they really are invested, the people who love you and the people, I think parents and close loved ones are so often left out of this conversation, how affected they are with our setbacks, the grandparents, the siblings, the everybody gets so invested and, you know, no one's really supporting them either. So it is great to celebrate the way surrogacy has been portrayed 
on TV and in movies is is comical. Not always funny, but the I just the, you know it's amazing. Like I remember on Friends a million years ago. I think Phoebe was a surrogate. All of these things looked like for her brother and. All of these things are super easy steps and it's funny and they call baby mama is called baby mama. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we just kind of perpetuate through movies and TV, a lot of false information about surrogacy. So I'm always interested on this podcast, not to just have the storytelling, which is obviously the point of this, but spread more awareness and education about modern family building. What yeah. led you to create your Instagram page? Was it that? You know, there it's several things. So one of the things is exactly what you're saying is to spread awareness, to to get people to understand that modern family building looks different for everyone. And there are, you know, different ways to reach your end goal, whatever that may be. But there is like you said, still so much unknown about surrogacy. I mean, we went to our genetic screening appointment and it was so clear that 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 office had zero policies on surrogacy and how to manage that. Uh, My husband and I actually had to sit in the hallway because we were considered not the parents while my sister went into a closed office and met with a geneticist to talk about the, you know, results. Their genetic history. Exactly. So it's Mm. just, which was, you know, as as the mom very hurtful because you feel like you're that is your baby legally that is your baby but a genetic office who deals with pregnant women on a daily basis had zero policies about surrogacy and how to handle and it just so i think spreading awareness additionally if it weren't for my husband's employer adding surrogacy coverage to their insurance benefits and and diversifying that set of benefits we would not be here there are i think continuing that conversation spreading awareness letting people know that it, it may look different for everyone. And there are people who, you know, go to the doctor and says, this is going to be super easy. And then it's not. So just spreading awareness and talking about it, I think will always be beneficial. If it, if it means that one person's listening who, who is in charge of HR benefits and can add a surrogacy coverage to help diversify family building and, and help support their employees. And that's a win for us. Yes. And and I love that because access to treatment and employers understanding that this is a medical issue for yes. so many of us. It's not a lifestyle choice. It's not how we're eating. That's not why we're not maintaining a pregnancy. Right. I think there's just so much education needed in that regard. We had it where when my cousin was being monitored during her pregnancy, I often was told, well, we have to check with the mother. And she she would just constantly, <laughs> right, she would constantly correct them. She was so thoughtful about that. What do you think you're going to tell your daughter, Amy, when she's aware enough to understand her journey into the world? How are you going to broach it? Have you thought and talked about that? That's a good question. I've definitely thought about it just because we've we've come up with so many different scenarios of what our next step may be. You know, were we going to transfer one of Courtney's embryos that she had? You know, how would that look? So we are a very open family. and, And I suspect that we will be very open with our child and let her know, you know, your aunt babysat you for nine months, but here you are. You've always been a part of our our family and our family is all of us, you know? So I imagine we'll be very open and honest. And, and I think continuing these conversations will help our daughter in the future. If we continue this conversation, even if it's scary for us to put ourselves out there, knowing that it will help my future daughter and, you know, her friends understand that families look different 
that is what my goal is to continue to express myself and tell our tell our story so that it will help people understand that families look different and can be different and that's okay and it and it's beautiful it's it's okay and what a, how wanted are these children yeah. i mean here we 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 fight for before we ever know them uh, how about have you how did your kids courtney how old are your kids now and what have you told them about your pregnancy. Yeah. So I have a six and a half year old and a two and a half year old and they're very excited. You know, we've, we've kind of laid it out as it is age appropriate. Mama's carrying Annie's baby because our family is so close. It's, it's a no brainer for them. They don't know any different. They don't know that it is a unique way to, to have a family being IVF babies themselves, when they, when my six-year-old asked how babies are made, we talked about how the doctor took an embryo and <laughs> transferred it to my uterus. You know, it's it's just a different way of, of, of handling things, but that was a much easier conversation than I'm sure a lot of other people have to have with their kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know our, our science, <laughs> yeah, science is involved in family building and labs and many technicians yeah, and, many, and embryologists. There's a whole community yeah. of people involved. <laughs> like a lot of people are helping make this baby. It baby. takes a village. Right? <laughs> it takes a of village scientists. for sure. <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, my, my cousin told her then, I think he was three or four year old son, that she was carrying cousin Andrea's baby because Andrea's belly is broken. And when I came over for lunch that day, he was scared to see me oh because he thought I was just going to be like blood and guts everywhere. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so then she edited it and said, no, 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 no. Her belly is not broken. That Her belly is fine. <laughs> she can make the baby. She can't grow the baby. And I've maintained that that's the best way to describe it to adults as well. You know what? I might steal that. <laughs> I might steal that. That's you a... can steal it. Anything you want to add? I've loved hearing your journey so far. I think continuing the conversation is, is, is such a good thing. And, and I I am happy to be here with my sister going through this and, and finally meeting, you know, meeting her. I, I want to say hopefully because that's just such a trigger for IVF people to not bank on something, being 100%, even if your sister is you know, 17 weeks pregnant at this point. <laughs> I can't wait to meet her and, and let her know exactly how she got here. And we're just excited. Yeah, we're so excited for our new family member. It's, it's going to be awesome. Oh, I'm excited too. I'm excited <laughs> to follow along. Yes, I get so invested in these family stories and then it's it's really going to be great to see this unfold. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank yeah. you, Andrea. We appreciate you and all that you're doing. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Pregnantish Podcast, where we tell the story of Modern Family 3.0. Until next time. <laughs>